Amen. Well, guys, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs tonight. I want to invite you to be with us in Proverbs chapter 28. We do give you a couple of ways you can do that. Obviously, opening up a Bible, bringing yours or one in the chairs nearby, you can do. We have also printed out booklets that we've been doing for the book of Proverbs, which we only have a few more chapters left, and so we'll probably, we won't continue this after that. But what we did with these booklets, it's just the whole Bible, the whole chapter. So this is Proverbs chapter 28. Uh, our reason for so doing was that Proverbs is just kind of an interesting book, that almost every verse can be uniquely its own kind of content in the midst of it, and it can make it challenging to, you know, kind of follow along. And so we thought, hey, this would be a great way for you to maybe just mark this whole thing up. And so we're going to use kind of uh, colors up here on the screen. You might not be able to do that. Uh, but if you want, we'll use kind of a circle for things that are good and a line after that. We'll use kind of a square for things that are uh, not good in, in the midst of it. And we'll use red on the screen so you can kind of see the contrast because in many ways they're there. It's as if walking through this that you can see that. You can use any other pattern you so want. But again, the point of the booklet was to make such easy so you didn't feel like you were marking up your Bible in a random way. But tonight you would be able to just try to follow along and then see the things that God has for you in the midst of that. With that, we want to just invite you, if you're joining us online, hey, same invitation. Maybe you're thinking, well, I want one of those booklets where well, we do have it available. You can go to our website at calvaryrosal.com, go into the messages, and, and, and under tonight's message, click download. It'll have a little thing that say notes. Download that. It's a PDF that you can print out or just use on an electronic device and then just work in one way or another so that God would just meet us in his word. That's our invitation. That's our hope for us here and you joining us online and in the overflow. So with that as an invitation, let's take one more moment and pray. Pray in a way where we want to ask that God would make his word known to us. Let's ask tonight that he would help us to understand the passages that are put before us. But I'm asking uh, that in God's good favor, he will show you something. And, and I believe that if he does so, it'll probably be a single thing. It may be one single proverb out of the things that we cover, or even one section of a verse of it, that you'll just know, hey, that's the thing I need to take home from this. That's the piece that I need to chew on and, and seek to apply into my life right now. He is that favorable. There may be a bunch of little things he does, but I'm longing for one thing that would just be very, very clear, that the Holy Spirit would just speak to you. So let's ask him for that. Uh, just ask him that he'd open up his word to us in a way that we'd understand. Father, I think about the way that you teach us, and I, I marvel at it, quite honestly, how gentle you are, how that so often the way you teach us as your children is that, just showing us one thing. The truth is right now, Lord, you could show us a thousand things that we need to understand, and we would need to understand them. There are so many things that we lack. There are so many things that we need to grow in, but you're a God who is very tender, very gracious, you're a good shepherd who takes care of your sheep, and, and Lord, I recognize your favor in so doing. Believing that you're that God, I pray that you would just bring us into truth this evening. Places where we would understand just the passages in front of us, but Lord, in your favor, would you bring into every heart here something that was the nugget that they needed to just chew on and recognize the changes that are needed the growth that is needed, the life that is needed. God, you're that good and favorable that you work so perfectly individually. So Lord, here we are, here I am. Just wanna hear you. Just wanna be open to your spirit. Wanna ask that you'd show us what you have for us 
and, and just meet us in a space where we approach just your word, hopefully just humbly asking for your instruction. We do so together right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paying attention to God's word, following it, can make you look smarter than you actually are. Hey, that might not sound like a great thing, but it certainly is. Think about it this way. When uh, Moses was speaking in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me. He says, therefore, be careful that you observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this, gracious, this nation is a wise and understanding people. He says, if you'll just follow my word, if you'll pay attention to what my word is, not only will it just meet you, but people will look and go, wow, you're, you're, like, you're like really smart. Like you're wise. And you'd be like, you know, it, yeah, I'm just doing what God told us to do. I mean, but I love the reality that it would be so, that God would so work in our lives in a way that we would be able to see the things that he has for us, and that that would be transforming, and that would be in a way that would make your life shine in our our world that is so confused, and so certainly inviting you to that as we approach Proverbs 28, that we would be a people that say, okay, I'm going to pay attention to it, because if we follow God's wisdom, if we follow his ways, it makes us well, smarter than we actually are, and uh, shining uh, his light into a world that so needs to see how wise our good God is. So with that, we approach Proverbs this evening looking for wisdom, looking that God would help us uh, to be able to appropriate it into our lives. So Proverbs 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You look at this, and it's a contrast. It's a contrast between the wicked. That's the, the ones that were, are doing it badly or the ones that are wrong. He says they are those who flee. They, they flee when no one pursues. But the contrast, and again, the way Proverbs works, and especially in this chapter, most of the Proverbs are one half of the proverb contrasting with the other. Sometimes it's almost a mirror image. Sometimes there's a little change that makes it more exciting if we had more time to dive into it. But here, it's a pretty easy contrast. So the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous, in contrast to this, they are bold as a lion. Now, this is one of those fun proverbs. You you might have seen it. This is one of those proverbs that makes a really good meme, uh, you know, kind of thing. And so you probably have maybe seen them for some of you guys to see those. And so it would say something like this. You know, I wanted to go jogging, but Proverbs 28.1 says the wicked run when no one's chasing them. So there's that, you know, just, you know, it's like, it's a good reason not to, not to jog, like right there. Just, I mean, if you're a jogger, hey, that's great. I'm not. So it's a good, it's a good one for me right there. Um, that said, it's, it's obviously not talking about exercise, but it's contrasting two different people. The wicked who are opposite the righteous, opposite those who are doing right and having a right life with, before God. He says the wicked, they, they find themselves fleeing. And there's probably much that looks into here into a guilty conscience, into the guilt that kind of bears into life. And, and out of that, there's just a fear that makes them constantly afraid, constantly moving away from this. But the contrast is so helpful. The righteous. And the Bible would say that those who are righteous, we're not righteous in our own merit. We're righteous in Christ, that Jesus is the one that brings us into a right relationship with God. And that relationship enjoyed makes us bold as the lion. The, the word bold's fascinating because in some ways, it's not a great translation here. 
it's actually the word that would be used for the word trust. For example, it is that one that's used in the famous uh, verse in Proverbs 3, 5 that says, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he would direct your paths. And there in that Proverbs, inviting us into a place of confidence in God, inviting us into a place of trusting him, that's the word that's used here and that's exactly what it's referring to. It's referring to a confidence, a confidence that isn't arrogance, He's not saying, hey, the righteous are arrogant and they walk around arrogantly. No, he says, hey, when you're right, there's a boldness that can make you in many ways as bold as a lion. And the idea is almost imagining that in some kind of jungle safari kind of thing. And you look there and the lion, kind of the king of the beast, walks around without a lot of fear. I mean, they don't look there and go, oh, my, a deer. You know, it's like, you know, oh, my, an antelope. I was a little bit, they're like, oh, my. It's, you know, it, it, there's all, it, the, you're the predator. You're the one that looks at those things and everyone's afraid of you. He says there's something about watching a lion kind of navigate life that should, could look like a believer who's doing well. That's like, you know, kind of navigating life. I'm kind of navigating the world. I'm kind of navigating what's there. And I feel confident. But my confidence isn't that I'm, arrogant and and just full of myself my confidence is that i'm confident in god i trust him you know when i when i trust him when i am doing the proverbs 3 5 and 6 you know trusting in the lord with all my heart and not leaning on my own understanding there's a way that can just make you navigate life in a way that much like a lion is, is just moving freely you could so move but so very opposite the wicked so very often, the opposite, those who aren't trusting God, who aren't doing well with Him, where fear and guilt seem to permeate so many of their decisions and, and, and so much that's there. We can look at this as a big contrast between those who are unbelievers and believers. And obviously this evening, we're calling you, if you don't know Christ, to come to Christ, that there's a, a rescue from guilt that would draw you into a peace. But the reality is that sometimes this is even present in the life of a believer. And some of you could even note how this works in your life. When you are having a week that you're not doing so well with God, when you're not walking well with God, when you're not trusting Him, when, when you're kind of doing that, there's the, there is that place that just guilt and fear and kind of just kind of consumes you. And you begin to make the wrong decisions without even making them. And there's just something about this that should tell you, I see what the problem is. The problem is that I need to be, you know, I need to be right with God. I need, I need to press into it because if I were, if I were, I'd be able to navigate my job or my family in an entirely different way. It would be a beautiful place, which would be just life-giving. And, and it's just a picturesque way that would say, hey, this is a better way to do that. May it be that it finds you so tonight. May it be you that you're found in a place of trusting God and, and those who would just say, hey, I'm, just, I'm navigating without fear. You know, uh, I kind of just, I trust God. And so I'm not walking around every moment just scared, much like, a, a, you know, would be there. Instead, I'm kind of bold like a lion. What a great place it would be. May God meet you and draw you into that. All right, we're well, leaving verse 1, going to verse 2, changing. It says, Because of the transgression of a land, many are its princes. But by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. So he gives us this picture. He says, okay, because of transgression, because of sin, because you have a, a, a land, a nation, a city that's you know, walking in rebellion, doing the wrong thing, sinning against God, he says, then that would mean many are its princes or many are its rulers. 
Now, that's just a good place for us to pause and just think that part through for a moment. He says, this is what this does. This is what sin produces. Dave Guzik, in his commentary on it, says, uh, to have many princes or rulers or officials is not seen as a blessing. Uh, This speaks of how large, complex, and multi-layered government can be a curse to a people. And so I'll just let that land there, just however that works, you know. Uh, But there is something true. I mean, there is something true about this that you can almost imagine it, that the idea is that you would have multiple leaders contending for power, uh, multiple just different places that brings confusion into a land. And it's worth noting, again, that that's not the cause. That's the result. He says it's because of sin that this is now happening, that, that that's, you know, being, being just kind of permeating in this. It's because of transgression that that's bringing that about. In contrast, he says, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. So this is one of these fascinating ones that, again, if you want to just think about it more later, you know, that one of the things I, I like about the Proverbs is sometimes they're almost a mirror image, much like verse 1 was. Here's what the righteous looks like. Here's what the wicked looks like. Here's the, what, what, what happens when a man's righteous. Here's what happens when a man's wicked. This is kind of a mirror image. This one is different because instead it says, because of transgression of the land, many are its princes. And now we contrast it not with sin, but having a godly leader, having a leader that's there, that's walking in understanding and knowledge. And he's saying, hey, right will be prolonged. And it's as if these things just complement each other, that we look and say, okay, it's a different place. I mean, you're looking at one, because, the, you know, obviously the land is not walking in wickedness, because godly leadership is in the midst of it, just that right, that doing what right will be just a blessing, which would be contrasted to many princes of the land, and just a, a very different space, but certainly an invitation invitation to move away from the complexity, move away from that even in our own world, but surely long for it. May God bring us even into more of that, we ask. I certainly ask. All right. Verse 3, a poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no food. So you look here and you have someone who's, who's living in poverty, and you would almost expect that because of that, because of their understanding of what that looks like, would have compassion on others, but sometimes it's not that way at all. Sometimes you have a poor man that, instead of being compassionate, oppresses those who are uh, also poor. And he says, if you look at that, it's like a driving rain, uh, not like a beautiful rain like we have outside, but the kind that destroys, destroys crops and and destroys everything that's there that leaves nothing, leaves it absolutely decimated. And it's this picture of something that maybe could have been, should have been a blessing, it has now become a curse. And just a, 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 just a sorrowful moment in that. And you can almost just imagine this and how true it is to, to look at that. I find myself thinking of when Jesus would share this about even sin, that he talked about those who, you know, the, the servant who was forgiven, you know, a, a debt that he couldn't pay, you know, just one that was so massive and, and so big. And, and you would kind of think, hey, that would make him compassionate to other servants. But then he has a, another servant that comes in and owes him a very small amount. And, and instead of showing compassion, uh, he abuses uh, that, that person and begins to make it. And, and Jesus just highlights it shouldn't be so. Like, you know, that, that, that ought not be that way. In fact, that will bring in God's judgment into the midst of that. And so in many ways calling that that wouldn't be that place. And so it wouldn't be that place for us, that our own weaknesses, our own kind of poverty, whether it be physical or spiritual, should give us compassion. 
uh, on other people, that that should be altogether reason enough for us to, to, to shine that and not be oppressive to one another. May God rescue us from just such a horrible folly. Well, you can turn the page. Verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. So those who forsake the law, the law being the word Torah, having the idea of God's instruction towards us, certainly just in a big measure, we'd say, hey, this is, this is God's word. So here you have someone who forsakes it, who looks at God's word and chooses, hey, I'm not going to do what this says. I'm not going to follow God. I'm, I'm going to reject his word. He says that person is actually praising the wicked that when they do that, that's actually the, 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 the thing that they begin to do. Now, in part, that's true, that in one sense, if you begin to reject this, the, the world shifts, that right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right, and it so often is the case that, that people begin to, you know, esteem things that are the absolute opposite of this, and that's probably partially what's found in this verse, but it's also meant to just kind of assault uh, the person that's there, because here's the deal. For some people that are there that, you know, they're no longer paying attention to God's word, no longer really doing it, but they would say something like this, well, you know, I'm not a bad person. You know, it's not like I want people to do bad, you know, I just, I'm just not doing what God says, but I, you know, it's, it's not like I'm, you know, really rejoicing in those things are bad. He says, no, that's not true. To reject this book, to reject what God has, you've now become those who praise the wicked. You've now esteemed Uh, At the very moment that you reject what God says, at the very moment that you say no to God, you've put yourself into, you know, pursuing and and praising those who, you know, live that out in its fullness. In contrast, he says, but those who keep the law, the moment you say yes to this, the moment you say yes to God, yes to what he has, that's going to bring you into conflict. That's going to bring you into conflict with those who forsake the law. There's just no other way about it. There's just no other way that's there just because of your relationship to the Word of God. It will do one or the other. If you love this book, you're going to be in conflict with the world. If you reject this book, you're going to be praising the wicked. There is no other kind of realm in the midst of it. There's kind of one or the other, and yet obviously the invitation is this. And in one sense, again, it's just worded in this proverb to kind of wake that person up, to wake up the person who's trying to live in this in-between place that would say, you know, I'm not, I I mean, yeah, I'm not doing everything God says, but I just try to be nice to everybody. I just, I just want to get along with everybody. And, And God's like, no, you know, the moment you reject this, you're praising the wicked. And if you choose to do this, you're not going to get along with everybody. You, if you choose to do this, this is going to bring you into contention with those who reject God's word. That's, there, there's no other way around it. That in one sense, to have no contention is actually one of those places that actually marks us not doing well. You know, that, that in that sense, that just to obey God and hold his word will certainly bring us into it, but it's a good place to be. Obviously, my encouragement is that tonight, that would be you, that you would come and say, okay, yeah, that's what I do. I try to keep God's word, and yes, that, that brings me into conflict. I see that, but I, that's, that's the road I want to be on. I don't want to try to live in this 
weird space of rejecting God's word and trying to get along with everybody because it's an impossibility and, and, and it's wrong. It's a place where God would rescue. And so again, he just says it in a way that hopefully kind of explodes that and invites us into a better place. All right, leaving verse four, going to verse five. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. Again, it gives us this place of contrasting. In one sense, we have evil men, those who are choosing to do the wrong thing is the kind of the subject matter here. And he says the very moment someone's living that life, they don't understand. There's no way to be able to be a, a judge, to be a, someone who can say, hey, this is right and this is wrong. The, the life that you live in that place destroys that, destroys the, the capability of that, destroys the space that it would be, and, and cannot happen that way, which is just a powerful moment right there. I mean, just to look upon a world where there are so many who are so opinionated against so many things, and yet there is a place of saying, your lifestyle, you know, it, it, it dis, it's disoriented you right off the bat. You know, if you're rejecting God and, and living a life that you'll never be able to say, okay, this is right and wrong, it, it just will take you in the wrong direction. But the contrast is beautifully so in a different way. Those who are seeking God, those who are seeking to you know, put God first and seeking first God and seeking his kingdom, that begins to open up to us everything. That the door that brings us into understanding and seeing and, and valuing life, it is found here. It, it, it's found in that space. And it obviously doesn't mean perfectly. There's not any of us here that's like, well, I actually understand all mysteries. No, it's not true. But there is the, it is the space that would go there. And, and the point of this proverb is kind of simple, I suppose, but I hope it's clear. Good understanding. Being someone who's able to see life and understand it right, it has to do with your character before it has to do with your IQ. It has to do with hey, you know, it, being that right person, because if you're doing the wrong thing and you're living a wicked lifestyle, it's never going to work for you. You'll never be able to, to, to choose between right and wrong or be able to see it. But if you will seek God, if you'll say, hey, I want to be someone that knows God, I want to put God first in my life, it's an amazing thing. All of a sudden, you know, he just begins to give you understanding. You know, all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, you know, I, I see things more clearly than I used to see them. Um, I, I, I begin to look at our world and look at things and, and everything comes here that if we would be those who would seek him, if we would seek the Lord, that he would bring us into that place of understanding. And it's certainly just, again, a place where it would invite you there. And it's a good invitation. It's a good invitation that doesn't tell you, again, just tells you it's not about your IQ. It's about your character and, and character changes. It will determine your ability to see life and understand it rightly, and oh, that God would bring us to be a people that would seek God, that that would fundamentally be who we are, that again, Jesus would say, seek first, like number one, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, like put that first in your life, and, and just he'll bring us into that, that we're made into a place of loving God first, that the greatest commandment is, is that we're there, and it's certainly a great space for us to seek to walk into. May God cause you and I to be those people even tonight. All right. Well, switching, verse 6, he says, better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. He gives it to us as a contrast. It would be so much better to be poor, to have you know, financial you know, poverty, and, and yet be someone who's doing the right thing, 
who's walking in your integrity, being a good man or a, a good woman, contrasting it than one who is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. And it's just this kind of interesting place where he's just telling us, hey, this would be so much better, you know, that right now to choose integrity over riches, to choose and say, I want to be that, kind of in some ways coming off of the verse that we saw before this, that, you know, evil men don't understand, but those who seek God get this, that he's telling us, hey, we should choose that right place with God to be a person of integrity over everything else, that success or money or, or privilege or any of those things, those shouldn't be the thing that drives our life. And yet, what a scary thought that is. See, the reality is it probably is so. Maybe even for someone in here this evening, maybe watching online. And I, I think about it this way. Um, Charles Bridges, in his commentary on it, said it this way. He says, many will wish that they had lived and died in obscure poverty rather than having been entrusted with riches, which only made them boldly sin with a high hand against God and their own souls. He says, the day's coming when people are going to stand before God and they will wish. They will wish, I wish I didn't have money. I wish I'd never got that job. I wish I'd never, you know, gained that inheritance. That was, that was my downfall. That was the thing that ruined my, I mean, I got power and, and, and that, you know, became the thing that so often, you know, was that hindrance. And I think about how serious that is. I mean, I think about Jesus when he's talking about it in uh, Mark 10. He looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. This is so difficult. It's so difficult because when money gets in there, and he goes on to talk about it being trusting in money, and the disciples are like, well, who can be saved? And Jesus is like, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So God can do it. But what's important for you to kind of grab here for this moment is how dangerous that is. Like, how dangerous. And again, we live in this world that's culturally affluent, that money is, is much more common than in other cultures, and we perhaps live in one of the most spiritually dangerous cultures because of that. And so in one sense, he's just inviting us to see it and say, you know what, I, I, I need to make sure that that doesn't, you know, cause me to be the thing that, that molds my life. It would be so much better to not have, the, get the promotion or not get that job or not have that money, but be uh, the person that God wants me to be. Like that should be the thing that I value above other things. And yet to choose this, it, it, will, it will take you so very differently. The sad reality is that we have so many within our world that have chosen money over God. They've chosen success and, and, and income just over saying, hey, I want to put God first in my life. And it has not gone well. It is, it'll never go well. And so it's just a place of just rescue this evening, saying, you know, hey, you ought to choose it. Does it mean that way? That you I mean, sometimes a person who, who will walk in their integrity can be blessed, and God will bless some who does this. There is no sense of saying, hey, that that will always be that way. Now, there is great blessing sometimes that God pulls on this, but the key is what comes first. You know, seeking God first, putting Him first, walking in integrity, and, and no matter how that would play out in your life, it would be so much better. May God rescue. I, I mean, I think about it even right now, and maybe again, before I go past this, I ought to just make sure I just say that. If you're here this evening, and you're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and maybe this is the deal. I mean, maybe it's right now money has become your God, and, and that since you've trusted in that, you've relied on that, you know, so much more just to believe in Jesus, 
to come and say, okay, that, that, to, to recognize that that can't save me, that what I desperately need is Jesus. And I love what, again, Jesus said, hey, with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. May he draw even now to the need of Christ and, the, and to put him first and, and to find that relationship with him that incredibly saves. All right. So leaving verse 6, going to verse 7, kind of doing what Proverbs does, just kind of switching subjects almost every uh, verse in the midst of it. Verse 7, it says, Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. So again, to hold fast to the Bible, to say, okay, I'm going I'm to trust in God, I'm going to believe the word. It's as if that makes a discerning son, one that would be a blessing uh, to a family is the idea. Uh, the one who a, a father would look on and just look on with esteem and wisdom and honor. But the, the contrast is that, you know, he looks at this and says the companion of gluttons, the one that instead of listening to God and walking his ways, lives their life shamefully, lives their life, you know, drunkenly, lives their life walking in that place. He says it's embarrassing. Shame's a father. This is one of those Proverbs, is actually, this is like the third time this has been said in the book of Proverbs so far. And, and, and just the weight of it just lands both seriously, but also just truthfully. Uh, in a place that, again, for some of you this evening, the reality is that you look on that and go, that's true. That's true. You know, maybe you have a child that's doing really, really badly, and you just know. It's, it's terrible. It, it, there's something about it that is just shameful and hurting. On the other hand, some of you have kids that are doing really, really well, and you're like, man, that is such a blessing. You know, there's no greater joy than to know that your children are walking in the truth. There's joy in walking in this, and just feeling the weight of that is good and obvious in the sense of drawing us to say, well, I want to be the one that uh, is a discerning son. I want to be the one who is one that holds fast to the Word of God. May God make it so. Well, you can flip the booklet over, going to, to verse 8. One who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. So you look at this one who is all about money, is all about getting ahead in life, and so they do so even by just wrong means. They begin to do so by usury, which has the idea of charging exorbitant interest uh, to, to people, taking advantage of that in many ways, extorting people, you know, in the midst of it, where everything comes about, hey, going to get money. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rich off of people. And the sad reality is so very present, so very present in our world. But he says, as you look at this, and you look at those who are taking advantage of people, he says, they're gathering things, they're gathering all that they gather, and they're only gathering it to give to the one who's going to actually end up pitying the poor. Kind of an interesting proverb, uh, even an interesting outlay in the midst of it. There's actual practical realities where often it's so that God looks upon it and he turns it around and will bless. But ultimately, we'd look and say, okay, does this work out every day in the midst of our days? Not always now, but it's going to. You know, I think about Jesus who said, you know, that the, you know, the, the meek are going to inherit the earth. He says, you know, this is, you know, everything that people think they're gaining, it's as if they're not. And yet he invites us to be a different person, uh, to be the person that instead of looking at people as to what can I get from them, but how can I bless? You know, how do I be a blessing? How do I care for those who are in the midst of it? Invites us to be a very different life that he would call us to live than the world that's living around us. All right. Verse 9 it says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. 
Now, I like this verse. I mean, I really, I mean, I just think it's such a practical and just powerful, you know, proverb that just lays it out so clearly. So, so you have here somebody who rejects God, who rejects hearing the law, that rejects the Bible, who rejects what God says, and God says, here's the thing, prayer doesn't work for them. Prayer doesn't work for them. Even their prayer uh, will be a, a, an abomination. So very real, and yet surprising for some. It's a weird thing. We've talked about this even recently in our study in, in John on uh, Sunday mornings when we were talking about praying according to God's will. And we talked about how that in our world today, most people pray. Whether you know that or not, statistics tell us that most Americans have asked, hey, do you say your prayers? Do you ever pray? Do you pray to them? Most people say, yeah, they pray. It's a weird deal. Even people that don't believe in God will, you know, say a prayer, you know, go to church in a difficult time or whatever, and, and they'll go that and yet for so many of those people, they, they kind of, well, you know, I pray, it doesn't seem to do anything. And God will just kind of look at it and say, it doesn't work for you. It's not that God doesn't hear or couldn't move in that, especially in an evangelistic way. God is God. He's big. He does that. Some of you would even personally attest to that. But as a whole, it's as if to look at so much of what people do and say, yeah, that's not going to work out for you. You know, you know, if you're not going to listen to God, if you're not going to listen to him and his word, why would you think that prayer would work for you? And yet, I, I don't know how to say this differently, but I know people like this. I mean, I, I mean maybe you do as well, and, you'll, and they'll tell you. It's like, man, yeah, I don't go to church. You know, I prayed and didn't work. You know, I, I prayed for things like, so, wait, so, you know, I, you thought that maybe your prayers would work even though you're re- rejecting listening to God. You think he should listen to you. You know, even though you're going to say, God, I refuse to, to allow you to navigate my life, but um, I'd like you to bless it anyway. I'm going I'm to refuse to say anything, yes to anything you want, but would you bless my family? Would you please do this for me? As if somehow that's how prayer worked. As if somehow you could have this no relationship with God or a disobedient relationship to God and expect prayer to work. And yet part of the deal is, so for so many people, that's why they struggle with prayer. Because either they're not a believer, because our prayers are answered in Christ that were brought into that, or they're living in disobedience. And yet they still expect prayer to work. Like, it, like somehow I could say, hey, I'm going to totally reject God. I'm going to refuse to say yes to him, but I'm still going to pray. And then they're like, well, it doesn't seem to work for me, pastor. It's like, well, you... You might want to try obedience. You might want to try saying yes to God. You might want to say, okay, God, if there's sin that, that hinders my life, if there's that which is holding this back, because I know that you won't bless that. I know that you would never bless it if I'm choosing to reject you and your ways. I know that that would never work that way. I know it would never, in, in that sense, be a part of that. And he would invite us into a space of being able to walk into that of being able to say, you know, yes to God and and yes to his ways. And would it be to God that he would even draw you to that this evening, that there would be a space of saying, okay, yeah, I I need to see that that's how this whole thing plays out. I I need to recognize that that obedience is that which so often, you know, opens that up. And even just in that place of saying, hey, we want to walk in that. We want to walk in, in his ways and the things that he would open up in the midst of that so desperately needed. And so much needed to be a part of that. May God just cause us to be those and be able to see what that looks like in our lives. All right, well, we'll leave that one. Go on to verse 10. Hopefully have the computer back up in a moment. You never know about technology. It's just kind of a blessing sometimes, and sometimes it's not. But we have the word of God, so we're going to keep going. Uh, Verse 10, whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself 
will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. So God looks at this, and he says, here's the thing. So if you have someone who, they, they're actually causing people to do the wrong thing. They're causing uh, the upright to go astray, astray in an evil way. He says, when you, when you watch that happening, and you see all that's going to do that, he says, he himself will fall into his own pit. We think about what that looks like, and I think about the reality that would be there, the reality that would, you know, be a part of this. And I think about what Jesus said. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned into the depths of the sea. In other words, Jesus looks at the same thing and he says, you know, it's going to happen. In fact, in this verse there in, in Mark and Matthew, he goes on to say, in this world, there's no way around it. There's no way around it that we're going to have people that bring people into sin. That's just the way it's work. But how scary it should be for you. How scary it would be better, you know, to take a millstone, just this large stone tied around your neck, throw yourself into the sea, than you be the one that is bringing somebody else into, into damage. You be the one that is destroying their soul. You be the one that's leading them into sin. So he's causing us to say that. He says, okay, so if you're going to cause the upright to go astray, you're going to fall into a pit. And again, Jesus says it so much more clearly. How scary it would be. How scary it would be. But instead, he says the contrast to it, the blameless will inherit good. Obviously, in one sense, he's just inviting us to see this, uh, to see the, the power of this and, and the wonder of this. You know, I think all the way back there into the book of Genesis, when God, you know, asked, he said, you know, am I, you know, am I my brother's keeper? You know, kind of, kind of questioned there in the, in the beginning of the garden, and that reality of like, am I res- really responsible for others? Am I really responsible, you know, for them? And there's a certain amount of it that says yes. Like, I should be, you know, I am, I don't want to be the one that brings anybody else in, into that. I don't want to be the one that is destroying anybody else's soul. Instead, I want to be blameless. I, I, I want to be blameless, and I want to inherit good. You know, I pause there just for a moment, and I, and I just hold before you the beauty of the idea of blameless, because I know how this works. I know how this works. Um, there's not anybody in this room right now that you can sit there and go, well, I'm so glad I've never been a part of, you know, damaging anybody else. I'm so glad that I, it's not, not true. Uh, sin has marred our life and marked our life. I mean, there, there's not one person in here that's, you know, done all of this well. But God invites you to blamelessness. And I like the word blameless as it's held out in Scripture because it doesn't speak of perfection. It speaks of being fixed and being repaired. It's a silly illustration, but I, it just works for my small brain, so I share it often. The idea of blamelessness isn't as if you never got a parking ticket. It's as if all your parking tickets are paid. It's like, I, if I've done the wrong thing, if I've, if I've done the wrong thing, I'm going to go and ask for forgiveness, and I'm going to get it right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be made right with God. I'm going to be forgiven. And he says, if you'll do that, if you're that kind of person, then you're going to inherit good. But if you're the kind of person that's like, I don't really care. I don't really care, you know, what my life has any bearing anybody else. He says, that's going to be damaging. How much worse it would be if that's the road that you go down. How wrong that would be that he would rescue you from us from that. May God do that in a fresh way even now. All right, flip the page. Verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. So we're talking about this guy, who's, this person who's rich again, and even that, as it's talked about in several of the verses, you know, some that are doing the wrong thing. He says, here's somebody that has money. Just because they have money, 
at times makes them feel like they have authority or they, they know everything. And the sad reality, that's true. And it's just not always true. It's not always true. People don't always get money for, for the right reasons, but somehow money empowers people. But so much better it would be to be this person who's even poor but has understanding. You would be able to see things clearly. You know, it just invited us a few verses earlier that if we would seek God first, that that would open up for us understanding, that our understanding would be found in that. And he's just telling us that in, in that sense, it's not money that makes the world go round or money that makes everything clear. There's an invitation here that we would say, I want to have understanding. And you can even be poor, but be able to say, mm, that's good, that's not good, that's true, that's not true. But that comes from that relationship with God. That comes from seeking Him and seeking to be that one who walks in that, who has all that that would be and, and all that God would have in the midst of that. All right. Verse 12. When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Kind of a simple proverb, but in, kind of clear in many ways. He says, when you look at this, when the righteous rejoice, when the person who's doing the right thing rejoice, or it has the idea of successful, uh, almost behind the idea of rejoicing, when they're doing well or getting promoted or having any of those places, he says, when that happens, there's great glory. There's something about that, that when, when you watch that, the contrast to this is when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Uh, men will hide from it. It's just so very, very true. Even for the person who struggles and, and, and is even tonight wrestling with, do I want to follow God? Do I want to obey His ways? They will choose the righteous person. You know, if they had to say, okay, who do I want to be my boss? You know, do I want to have, you know, that person who's righteous and caring and kind? Or do I want to have the person who's cruel and vindictive and selfish and, you know, abusing and trying to take advantage of everybody. It's like, no, I'd rather want that because it flows out of that. And even in the midst of us helping us see that, I think about it this way, the contemporary English version of this translation says it this way. It says, when an honest person wins, it's time to celebrate. But when crooks are in control, it's best to hide. Uh, it's just, it's just true. It's like, okay, when that goes, it's just better to stay away from it because it's a, it's a place of seeing the damage that would flow into that and seeing the damage that would so be a part of that and so very true in our lives. So much in a, in a place of just saying, okay, that's, you know, true in the way it works in the midst of it, but all of us to draw and say, okay, well, there is that place of wanting to be right. There's that one in a place of saying, okay, you know, both righteous being rejoicing, but also us walking in it. You know, I think about it, and I think about all that that is, and all that God's kind of laying out in the midst of that, and, and I think about how, you know, God draws us to this. In fact, I want to go back to verse 1. In fact, we'll kind of begin to wind our way down here this evening, because we're going to take communion here in a few moments. Uh, but before we do that, I want to take us back to verse 1. So if you want to just reverse in your booklet back to verse 1 and think through what we just talked about, and that's going to be where we land, because in some ways it ties into what we were just were talking about, that idea of being righteous. Because I like the way that this lays it out. Again, it says, you know, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous are bold as a lion. That when the righteous are successful, there's that, that place of joy. I just want to pause and, and just tell you again that there's only one way to get there. You know, it tells us in the book of Romans that the righteousness of God is revealed to us in Christ. That the, the only place that this can happen, when we really look at this idea of, of okay, so I want this. I want, to be, I want my life to be a blessing. I want to enjoy freedom. I want to have a boldness of a lion. 
that righteousness is only available in Christ. It's available in a relationship with him that God you know, made a way for us to be righteous in Christ, that Jesus came lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins, paying the price for our sins and rose again. When we come into a place when we're going to take communion tonight, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating what that looks like. We're celebrating that Jesus is the one that has come to make that possible, to bring us into this, that we're looking and saying, you know, there's, there's no way for me to get to that except through this, and then to see that to see that, that Christ is the one that makes us righteous, that brings us into that. It's the joy this evening. It's the joy of that. And so again, I just want to say it this way. If you're outside of that, outside of a relationship with Jesus, we just proclaim Christ to you. There's no other way to be made right with God. There's no other way to have this outside of a relationship with Jesus. Tonight, if you don't have that, we invite you to believe upon Jesus and to be saved and be made right with God, finding yourself enjoying freedom and joy and blessing and understanding and everything else that's been unpacked to us in the verses that we covered this evening. Again, just inviting you there. That said, I recognize for many of you, you are followers of Jesus, and yet there is that place of, of continuing to seek to walk in that, continuing to seek to enter into that, and I want to invite you into that here this evening, into a place of what we just talked about a moment ago, blamelessness, to come into Christ and to say, okay, I want to recognize the cross. I want to recognize what Jesus did. And if there's anything that needs to be made right, if there's any place that you're out of step with God, it's a good moment to deal with that, to come into seeing Christ and seeing what he did for us and to find your life being just stepped back into that. I think about when Jesus first gave us this whole celebration of communion. He sat down and washed the disciples' feet as a picture of what we so often need at this moment, God, if there's anything, if there's anything there that it just would be cleansing, and then to draw us into this, to draw us into a place where we want to have this righteousness, this trusting in God, this boldness that would certainly meet us into that. And I would love that that's the way you would leave this evening. I, I love, would love this way if you would come into an evening, and especially as we close celebrating communion, that there would be a sense of just enjoying the righteousness of Christ that would leave you confident walking out, not afraid, not, you know, recognizing our world is confused and upside down, but God's got it. Our God is a big God, and he is a God who's going to complete what he started, and he knows what he's doing, and, and there's a confidence that you could have not in you, but in him, and so I want to invite you into that. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to pray for us, ask God to draw us into this. Uh, then the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to lead a couple of songs. While they lead a couple of the songs, we're going to place the communion elements uh, up here uh, at the front of the st stage and just going to put them up here so that you can come up and take communion whenever you're ready. This is a time where you get to take communion, uh, though together, though we're taking it together as a body, you're still taking it just hey, between you and God. So anytime you're ready and the two songs that we're going to close in, come up, take communion. You can take communion up here. You can take it back to your chair. You can stand, you can kneel. However that works, just take a moment recognizing Christ, recognizing the way that we're made right with God in that and let it work that in a fresh way into your own heart. If you take the communion uh, cups back with you to the chair, make sure you take both of them because the bottom cup has the bread, top cup has the juice. Uh, in the chairs in front of you, there's little squares. Hey, those are communion cup holders, so you can just kind of stick it in those chairs and, and we'll clean it up later. Uh, but just inviting you into that. When you're done taking communion, just continue worshiping with us. Again, it'll just be a couple of songs, but we want to make it a space where we just celebrate our God who has come uh, to make us right. 
So with that in mind, let me lead us in prayer and ask that God would draw us into the space of communion. God, I thank you for the righteousness of God in Christ. I thank you that there really is no other way. Jesus, you are the way, and you're the truth, and you're the life. I do pray for any that are outside of that right now tonight that you would bring them into Christ. You bring them to their need, that they would seek you first and find you to be all that they need. God, draw these even now. God, with that, I just get a chance to come and bring my brothers and sisters before you and just know that you want us to walk in the righteousness of Christ into a place where our lives are a blessing, where we're seeking you first, where so many of the benefits that we've seen this evening are ours, but certainly even this one, that we would be bold as a lion, that we, because of our trust in you, that we could walk around with a confidence, with a, a, just a not being afraid and, and not being terrified. Would you work that tonight so that that actually meets us and we are walking out this evening that way? Would you draw us to Christ? Would you draw us to, to the wonder in that? And Lord, that you would cause us to be blameless even now. Lord, anything that just needs to be cleansed and laid down, may it be laid down now. May we be those who step into this moment and do so in a way that both honoring to you, pleasing to you, and enjoying the life you have for us. I simply ask for that. I ask for your help, your blessing, and all that you have in this. We ask for it right now as we just surrender and seek you this evening. We do so together in Jesus' name.